All right, well, good morning, all you amazing people. Thank you so much for giving me uh, the opportunity to come and, and talk to you all this morning. I, I really do appreciate it, um, as every time. And if nothing else, it will be an opportunity to grow in grace. So thank you. Um, before I get started, I do want to say one thing. I'm going to give a plug uh, for uh, Jamie, Jamie and my Bible study. Um, on the 14th of August, we're actually going to start a new Bible study. This is a new um, curriculum that just came out from Bill Johnson. The book has been out for a little while, but he now has a workbook and some other materials to go with it. It's called Hosting the Presence. Um, here, I'll read, I'm just going to read you the back of the book right here. It's not too long. In this power-packed book, Bill Johnson discusses how you can be a person who hosts the presence of God. Though all believers obviously have the Spirit of God within them, there is more that enables you to be, be so full that you overflow His Spirit into your world. Take a journey and meet many great prophets and kings from the Old Testament who were known as people of the presence, people who, in Johnson's words, God wanted to be with them. In this succinct and powerful book, Johnson encourages you to a pursuit in a pursuit toward the presence of God above all else. In this book, you will discover how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and respond to Him, how the Holy Spirit manifests Himself, biblical figures who are hungry for more of God's Spirit and learn to host Him, stories of presence-filled revivalists and personal encounters with the presence. Um, so if you would like to uh, come and be part of our Bible study, um, it's going to be at uh, Jamie and my house um, on Wednesday, 7 o'clock, starting August 14th. Um, I would just would encourage you to purchase the book and the workbook. Um, the book is on sale at Amazon and a few other places. The workbook right now, for some reason, I think you can only get it through iBethel. But if you'd like to come, please just uh, let one of us know. We can help you find those. All right, so life wasn't easy for Zolt and Giza Penladi. These two brothers were so poor that they set up camp in a cave just outside of Budapest, Hungary. They would look for scrap in streets and dumpsters and would sell them to junkyards. Life had been hard since they were young. Because of tensions at home, their mother had severed ties with the rest of the family and left. Later on, their mother also abandoned them. And the brothers lost touch with their parents until their mother's death. However, their lives changed when charity workers were told that the, the brother's grandmother had died in Germany. And as the surviving direct descendants, they were entitled to a share of the grandmother's estate. Under German law, direct descendants were automatically qualified for a share of any estate despite family disputes. In Zolt and Giza's case, their mother had already passed away, so they received her portion of the estate. As a result, the two homeless brothers, along with their sister living in the U.S., inherited an estate worth $7 billion. Wow. Can you imagine something like that happening in your life? Um, how, how do you think the course of your life would change if you received such an amazing inheritance? Well, today, I'm actually going to start a, uh, a short series of messages talking about the promise, our promise of inheritance in Christ. And I say start because this promise is a really big one. Um, last week, Scott gave me a list of all the promises that he's been considering going through. And, um, you know, I took a look at the list, and this is one that God highlighted to me. And... You know, I, I thought, wow, you know, that sounds pretty interesting. I don't know a lot about it, but surely I can find something in the Bible that talks about inheritance. I mean, I, 
I heard the term kind of get passed around. Well, the thing was, kind of God set me up on that one because when I started looking into it, I was amazed at all the things I started to find. Um, there's 27 references to inheritance in the New Testament alone that I found. There's probably more that I didn't. So the thing is, this is a concept that I think God really wants us to get. He doesn't just talk about it once or twice or three times. 27 times just in the New Testament alone. So the thing was, I kind of had a hard time figuring out, okay, now how do I kind of keep a lid on this? And by that I mean, you know, how do I, how do I talk about something this important in about 30 minutes? And I, I didn't think I could do it, and so I think we're all going to get stretched a little bit, um, me and that I'm actually going to try to do a series of, of messages. And um, once again, I just rely on, on your, your grace and wonderful attitude to allow me to do that. And uh, probably, like I said, probably have about three, three messages along these lines. So maybe the Inheritance Trilogy, you know, if you want to put it in Hollywood terms. Um, okay, but during this first portion, what I want to do is lay the groundwork. We're actually going to talk about the framework of inheritance, um, specifically uh, why the Bible talks in terms of inheritance, and, you know, why do we get one, and how do we qualify to receive that? All right, so what is an inheritance? I think we all have a pretty good idea, but just in case, I checked the, uh, the all-knowing repository of all information in our day and age, Wikipedia. There we go. Can't go wrong with Wikipedia. Um, so it defined inheritance as the practice of passing on property, titles, debts, rights, and obligations upon the death of an individual. So this practice has been used the world over throughout human history. Um, it's an important practice that actually that ties families together and helps establish a legacy uh, for a family. However, its primary importance to us as believers is not on an earthly realm, but actually on a spiritual one. So to start this journey, what I want to do is take a look at uh, Romans 8:14 through 17. So this is going to be our primary passage. We're going to come back to this several times during the course of the message. So I'll give you just a second to, to, to start looking into that, but, or to find it. Um, this morning also, too, I'm going to read out of the NASB. Um, so I know most people are using NIV, so this will probably sound just a little different. Okay, so I'll go ahead and, and start reading. So Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption and as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, I want to take just a, just a second to pray. Oh, dear Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just be here. Lord, just, just bring your presence and just open up our minds and hearts, Lord, to be ready to receive the message that you have for us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you just get all the concepts across, Lord. That you just help us to, to realize who we are in you, Lord, and the wonderful inheritance that, that you have set aside for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so this passage refers to the fact that we are heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
So being heirs obviously means that there is an inheritance involved. So who are we getting the inheritance from? Okay, so we're heirs of God. So we are receiving an inheritance from God. Did you ever think about receiving an inheritance from God? You know, I was, as I was saying, I was a little surprised by what all the Bible had to say on this one. Um, because, like I said, I, you know, I've heard the term thrown around, um, but it's not something that I, have to, that I can really say that I've been intimately familiar with. Um, but I think, like I said, God has a lot that I think that he really wants to get across to us on this. And so we're just going to try to break it down a little bit and just say, okay, if we're, if we're going to receive an inheritance, you know, what's involved with that? You know, what's required for, for there to be inheritance? So as we're kind of getting back to our Wikipedia definition, somebody has died. Uh, we must be designated as heirs, and there must be something that, could, that was bequeathed to us as heirs. So it could be property, titles, rights, debts, obligations, etc. Now, each of these truths is incredibly important, these three things. And so, you know, I don't want to miss anything here, so this is why we're kind of breaking this message up, because uh, today we're going to talk about those first two, who died and, um, and the fact that we are designated as heirs. Um, talking about what we actually inherit, that's going to at least probably take another couple of weeks, because it is enormous. Okay, so who died? Simple, right. You know, if, if nothing else in church, if somebody asks you a question, it's Christ. You should, you throw out Jesus. Just, you know, like nobody's going to come down on you if you throw out Jesus. Um, right, so simple, Christ. Um, so if we are God's heirs, then obviously God died. Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven and became a man. He was fully God but also fully man. And he came and he suffered and he died at the hands of men in order to bring an inheritance to them. Okay, but unlike an earthly inheritance where possessions are passed down because the person who's dead no longer has any use for them, this took, takes a different turn. So Jesus came down to obtain the inheritance for us. And he died so that we would be qualified to receive it. Now, briefly, I will say that the inheritance he won for us, um, just to kind of put it in general terms, is restored relationships and access to the kingdom of heaven. Now, and again, we'll get more into that later. For now, what I really want to focus on is how his death qualifies us for inheritance. So, in Ephesians 5.5, 5, it says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, sinful man, sinful people cannot inherit God, what God is offering. Um, and this is simply because sin is incompatible with God and with his kingdom. God in his mercy doesn't allow them to accept his inheritance. Because whenever God and sin come together, there's conflict. And who's going to win? God's going to win. So if God were to try to give us the inheritance before we are purified by Jesus Christ, it would literally destroy us. So Jesus, who is God, gave himself for us. He was crucified, and we share in that crucifixion. 
when we give our lives to him. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, so our sinful nature was done away with. It, was, it died, it's dead, it's buried as soon as we said yes to Jesus. He set us free from the slavery of sin and gave us a new nature consistent with the inheritance that God has for us and consistent with the amazing people that he created us to be. And I'm going to say this a few times. The amazing people he created us to be. Okay, if you miss anything, I'm saying you are an amazing people. <laughs> okay, because this new nature he gave us is, is pure, it, it is good, and like I said, it's completely compatible with God. Now, now, if that doesn't feel true to you, that you are pure, good, and amazing, you know, realize from the time that you accepted Jesus until the point which you leave this earth, God is at work in you. He's working to bring about the full manifestation of what's on the inside to the outside. Basically, manifestation means it's making evident. It's, it's, it's bringing what he has already put in you so that everybody else in the world can see it. He's working to get your, your body and your soul to work in harmony with your spirit. And that real you that's on the inside is one that is perfect, and it is perfectly unique. And being perfect doesn't mean that you're, you're all-knowing. It doesn't mean that you're, you're all-powerful, that you speak in Old English. <laughs> you know, Jesus didn't live that way when he was here. So I, I firmly believe that while he was here, he, he gave up his abilities as God and came here as a man. But he lived in right relationship with God. And that's the same type of person that God is calling each of us to be. Now, it, now if, you, if you live out that, if you walk with Jesus and you do everything that you can to, to live out the authentic you that's on the inside, now your life is going to look a lot like Jesus' life. In fact, it's actually you're going to wind up being a poster child for, uh, for 1 Corinthians, beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter where you know, we start talking about you know, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, that's going to epitomize your life. But the thing is, you know, God is just calling you to live out the qualities of him in you that he's instilled in you. I mean, you know, we're all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different callings. He's only calling you to be the person that he created you to be. And always, always, always remember the real you is the one that's emerging through the transformational power of God in your life. It's a version of you that's going to exist throughout eternity. This is going to be a small blip on the radar when you look back and you say, like, oh, I had to deal with problems back then. You know, I, I felt that I, you know, I wasn't always being myself. You know what? For eternity, you're going to be the real you, the perfect you. Okay, so the thing is, how you act now, how you think, how you filter life, and how you make decisions... That should all come from what's on the inside. That should, that should come from that real you, that authentic you that's there. 
And you know, every time you make a decision, every time you look at something according to the authentic you, you are one step closer to bringing that person out. Every single time is a victory, and don't ever forget it. You know, because by God, this world needs the real you. All right, and that being said, okay, since our old nature is dead, 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 dead. (laughs) Okay, Um, does that mean that that we don't sin? Okay, right. Anybody in here sinned since you accepted Jesus? Okay, right, right. We all do it. Okay, it, it's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Now, the thing is, we, we do it. We're not, we're not perfect yet. But realize, it's not who you are anymore. That when you sin, you're not being yourself. <laughs> and if you find yourself in sin, stop it. If you haven't seen the New Heart video on YouTube, look it up. Stop it. You know, stop acting like somebody you're not. You know, that's, that's schizophrenic. And, and it's unhealthy. And you know what? It's going to, you know, it causes emotional, uh, it causes spiritual and, and mental issues. And you know what? If it, and actually, if you are here a couple weeks ago when I, when I spoke last, you know if you have a mental issue, it's probably going to show up in physical, as a physical manifestation as well. Okay, um, all right, no, getting, okay, so getting back to kind of the original point. Um, when God cleanses our sin nature, we, com- we become compatible with his, with his inheritance. At that very instant, God blesses you again. Because not only does he give us a new nature, but he adopts us as his sons and daughters. Amen. Ro- okay, so Romans 8.15 Uh, So this is back in our passage. This is verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. All right, so in order to understand this this idea of adoption a little better, we're going to take a look at it in the context of Paul's day. So Paul, okay, so we're reading from the book of Romans, right? Okay. So what's called the epistles is basically the the books you find after Acts uh, through most of the New Testament. Um, those were essentially letters that were written to certain groups of people. So this particular letter was written to who? The Romans. Okay, so he's talking about adoption. We should probably take a look and see the idea of, you know, what, the, what did the Romans think of adoption? Okay, and I, I have a few things here. Actually, I have four things here for you. First one, in law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, all debts were canceled. He was regarded as a new person entering into a new life with which the past had nothing to do. Number two, the adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. Three, in the most binding legal way, he got a new father. In the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son of this new father. And four, it followed that he became heir to his new father's estate. Even if other sons were born afterwards, it did not affect his rights. He was inalienably co-heir with them all. Okay, so does any of this sound familiar? Okay, the Bible speaks in terms of adoption because 
it is an accurate parallel to the spiritual reality that takes place the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior. Okay, so let's take a look at those four things again in light of accepting Jesus Christ. Number one, legally, your, your old sinful, sinful nature has been completely wiped out. All the debts you couldn't pay were canceled. God regards you as a new person entering into a new life, which the path, past has nothing to do. Number two, you lost all rights to act out of your old nature, to pursue its goals, and you gained all the rights of a legitimate son or daughter in the family of God. Three, in the most legal, binding way, God became your father. In the eyes of the law, you were absolutely a son or daughter of God. In the law, God's law, the highest law there is. Four, you have become an heir to that which belongs to God. No one else entering the family detracts from your standing or your rights. You are inalienably a co-heir, co-heir with them all. Okay, so if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are undeniably and eternally a son or daughter of the King of the universe. You are bound by law, by affection, and by nature to the royal family of God. The devil can't deny it, and the bad day doesn't change it. You are who you are is not who you were. Your debts have been traded for treasures, your sins for salvation, your, your faults for freedom, your pain for peace, and your rags for riches. Knowing full well who we were without him and knowing full well who we are in him, God not only accepted us into his family, but he sought us out. He waited patiently until the time had come when we would accept his offer. And like the prodigal son, sorry, and like the prodigal son who finally came to his senses and turned toward the kindness and acceptance of his father, our father came running to shower us with his love. He cleaned us. He established our position in the family. He gave us authority and honor. And he gently deals with any family member who may deny our eligibility or may compete for his love. And this is the point we operate from forevermore. It, we didn't earn our place in the family, and we can't do anything to lose our place in the family. Our place in the family of God doesn't depend on our goodness. It depends on his. So we should face life knowing that we carry the title of child of God added to our name. We are, fill in the blank here, God Junior, God Juniorette. That's your name. And that's how we should face life. And because, and because of this, we always have a place, and we never have to be alone. Never again are we, are we abandoned or orphaned in any situation. Never again must we, must we navigate this life dependent solely on our ability and on our wisdom because we are his children. And if God provides for the needs of both the just and the unjust, how much more will he not provide for our needs, the children that he loves? Okay, so a little bit deeper. So what, a little bit more of what does this relationship look like? All right, and back in passage uh, in verse 15. 
For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, which cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, living as a child of God means an intimate, joyful relationship with God, not like the bondage and fear demonstrated by the law. A child of God can have a relationship so close to God that he can call him Abba. Now, the word Abba, I've, I've heard it's a Jewish word or an Aramaic word, but you know, it, it most closely means daddy, from what I've seen. It's a common term that, that young children would use to address their fathers. It signifies the close, intimate relationship of a father to his child, as well as the childlike trust that the child has in his parent. Okay, you know what? This is also the term that Jesus used while praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, who shared the most intimate relationship with Father God of any person who ever lived, called him by this name. Think about it. We are told to use that same name. That's the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. You know, and here God's saying, cry out to him. It's not saying... It's not just saying, come to him. It's not just saying, converse with him. He's saying, cry out to him. Now, okay, that cry can be a cry of desperation. If you cry out to him that way, you know what? He's going to listen. He's going to be there for you. But you know what? That's not exactly what this passage is getting at. All right, if you look back in there, it says, we have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear Again, we've moved past the fear. And that's part of what it means to be saved. We don't have to react out of fear or control that may influence the type of relationship we have with God. We are new creations. Instead, we cry for a different kind of reason. God wants to hear the passionate desires of your heart. He wants you to seek him out and greet him with excitement. Um, you know, I'll say, okay, one of the most exciting things for me in my life, I, I, you know, I'm a fairly new dad, is I know that at the end of the day, I come home, I walk into my house, and one of the first things I'm greeted with is my daughter, my two-year-old daughter, Aaliyah, getting excited to see me. And she'll, you know, she'll cry out, and she'll come over to me, and she wants me to, to pick her up. There's no feeling like it. I mean, I, you know, it's, if you're a parent, I'm sure you understand. You know, just to have someone that excited to come and see you and, and just that loves you with all their heart. And he wants you to do this in the full knowledge that he is your father. Um, you know, there, there's no question <laughs> in my daughter's mind about who I am. <laughs> if you've... <laughs> You can ask her, and she will instantly tell you. In fact, you, could probably, you can even talk to her and not even bring the subject up. And five minutes into the conversation with her, she will point me out and say, Dada. She, just to let you know. In fact, sometimes for most people, she even, they, when they tell her hi, she's like, Dada. <laughs> I, apparently I'm her bouncer too, but, but the thing is, there, there is no question about who I am to her. And there shouldn't be any question about who, who God is to us. You know, he's, he's, not the, he's not the big old man with the beard in the throne in the sky. He, he's our daddy. 
He's our Father. Okay, and that means and you are his beloved child. Beloved child. So I'll never forget that. That's a very critical adjective, beloved. And again, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm not saying you're not worth it. Because the Lord knows you are. Because the Lord came down and, and suffered and died for you. You. Every single person in this room. Uh, but there's nothing, you know, and again, there's nothing you can do to detract from your standing. Okay, save completely turning from him. But what I want to do is, I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. I want you to meditate on this one truth. I am a child of God. Just find some quiet time, and I know for a lot of us that's difficult, but find some quiet time and just meditate on it. Just think about it. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and talk to God about it. And you know what? I promise you that he's going to blow you away. Guaranteed, 100% guaranteed, he's going to blow you away. And um, you know what? If, and if he doesn't, if you put forth an effort and he, and he doesn't, I tell you what, come back and talk to me, talk to Scott, because you know what? There's, there may be something that in your heart that we need to address and replace with the truth. And you know what? After that happens, then he's going to blow you away. Because I've seen it many times. All right. Um, you know what? Because I think what ha- what's going to happen is if you do meditate on this one thing, you're going to find uh, Romans 5.5 5 to be true. Um, this is the later part of the verse. It says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, the love of God is a real present experience. It's not just an idea. It's not just a concept. It's not, and it's not a promise for the future. The, the, the spirit of adoption that we're talking about, that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes the, the love of the Father real to us. He flows the, the divine agape love into, into our hearts. Now, it doesn't say it's a measured trickle. He says the Holy Spirit pours the love of God in, into our hearts. Again, do you feel the love of God in your life? I mean, you can, you can look to the Bible, and, and hopefully you can listen to the words I'm saying this morning, and you can understand that God loves you. But, you know, and I'll say he really, really loves you. But I, I will ask, if, you know, does it feel true? Because, you know, we all have our good days and our bad days. And, you know, at some point, we probably need to hear it straight from him. So, I'm just going to say, you know, trust that the Holy Spirit is faithful to fill your heart with God's love and simply ask God if he loves you. Again, find some quiet time. Just ask God. God, do you love me? I do it fairly often. And he says he has yet to tell me yes. Yet to tell me no. <laughs> I didn't, didn't sound very good, did it? <laughs> Man, I, I wouldn't recommend it if, you know, if that's... All right. <laughs> oh. Okay. And, but the, and the thing is, too, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know what, he may not answer you in necessarily in the first way you expect. Um, I've heard it said that God's first language is not English. Um, it's very true. He has a multitude of ways 
of getting through to you. And he's going to pick the one that's going to be the most meaningful, but it may not be necessarily the one you listen for at first. So we have a very creative God and be open to the fact that he may talk to you in creative ways. Okay, uh, so Romans 16, we'll take a look at 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Okay, so this verse lets us know that God's, all of God's children will be his heirs. No one is left out. You receive the inheritance, you will receive the inheritance that he has planned for all his saints because you are one of them. Now, once, once again, we see standing doesn't depend on our goodness, it's on his. And we have been chosen with the full foreknowledge of God to be his children. He knows who you are, he knows who you will be. He made the choice to seek after you. And invite, and invite you into the family. All right. Um, and he's going to entrust you with the great blessings and the glory that you're going to, you have and actually are going to inherit. And that's something that we're going to get into later. And you can be absolute, absolutely secure in this promise. But I do want to take a quick look at, look at the ver, end of verse 17 if you have it open. So, Back at, you know, when Jamie and I were in Ohio, um, we're going to a church where the, the pastor's wife had this little saying like about, you know, that may be, that's one of those verses where you like to bring out the black highlighter and go ahead and mark it in your Bible. <laughs> go ahead and mark it out. Uh, because it, it talks about suffering. But you know what? It's there. So we, have, we should understand why it's there. Why is this part of... This, this passage that's, that's talking about being sons and heirs? Well, I can give you a partial answer. I'm not saying I know the full answer, but if, uh, in Romans 5.3, it says, there, therefore, excuse me, let me see if I'm, actually 5.3 through 5, therefore, having been, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Again, that's the same verse we talked about just a second ago. So, we have been warned we're going to have tribulation in life. Jesus said it himself, you will have tribulation in life. He's not, God doesn't take you from it. God walks with you through it. But you know what? Tribulation has a completely different connotation for the saint than it does for, for mere ordinary men and women. Notice in verse 1 that, for one, we have, we have a peace in facing our tribulation. So let me go back real quick. It says in the beginning, we said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it starts out this section on, on tribulation. You know, 
And that should be our mindset in dealing with the knowledge that the tribulations are coming. Tribulations are going to come. And, and you know what? We typically tend to be really bad about guessing which ones are going to be. I don't know about you guys, but I always stress about the wrong things. Um, I always think the problems are going to be something different than they normally are. But the thing is, that's not how, that's not how we're designed to live. Because it says we can have peace in facing any tribulation that's coming. That's what God does for us. But then it goes on. It says not only that, not only do we have peace going into it, but once we get into the tribulation, it says exalt. Get excited. We can get excited. We're having tribulations. And not the panic, running around with the chicken with your head cut off type of, type of excitement. You know what? The thing is, we can have excitement looking forward to the fact that we know what's going to happen out of this. It's going to, we're going to go through that process. You know, we're, we're going to go... We're going we're gonna to gain perseverance. We're going to have proven character. We're going to gain hope. And the thing is, you know, this process he's describing, I mean, essentially it's a mechanism that, that our Father is using to help transform us into our authentic selves. He uses the good and the bad. He uses everything. You know, and every tribulation is designed to result in the building of our character and our hope. Now, and, and the thing is, if that doesn't quite make sense, look at it from the perspective of Romans 8.28. So everything is going to work out to our good. Because we love God, we're, we're called according to his purpose. So the thing is, victory has already been won in every single situation in our lives. That's what Jesus came to do. He won the victory. We're just, we're just cleaning up the, the, the after effects. So that, include, that includes every obstacle we face. So our job is to rely on the Father and remember that our tribulations are contained, just like in this verse, our tribulations are contained between the peace of God, and if you look at the end of that, that passage, the love of God. And there's excitement all the way between. So, actually, that, that's the big, that was, that's my message I had uh, for us this morning. So, Really, the things I just want you to take away is just remembering who you are. That's the biggest thing for me, is just the identity of, of, of who you are. You are, a, you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God. And you are amazing, amazing people. And the old you, the you that you, that if you're like me, that you feel like you struggle with, guess what? That old you is powerless. Old you is dead. So t- take heart in the, in the fact that the victory has already been won. And like I said, just, and take, just be excited that for every single decision that you make to live out that authentic you, that's a victory. That's, that's getting you one step closer to being the person that you always wanted to be. And the thing is, because we are children of God, we are also heirs, and we are eligible for that inheritance because of the work that Jesus did and there's nothing that we can do to really change that. Okay, so one, the last thing I want to do is just pray for us, if you would. I'm just going to actually just pray um, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 for us. Lord, I, I pray that the, eyes, that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we will know the hope of your calling, <laughs> what the riches of the glory of your inheritance in, in the saints really is. And what is the surpassing greatness of your power 
toward us who believe. Amen.